What's going on, everyone? It's Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com, back with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast, back-to-back episodes. Uh, Today, we're moving from the West Coast out to the Midwest. We got special guests coming from Daybreak Cannabis and the Good Kinds Dispensary and a couple other brands, which we'll get into in a little bit, but a vertically integrated operation out out of the market in Missouri. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Good. We got the group. For we got us. the group. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for coming on. We got the group here. So every episode I kick off, I usually start with our guest origin story around cannabis. Since we got the group on camera, I'll let you guys uh, introduce yourself and then share your personal journey with cannabis or when your journey started with cannabis, whether that's personal, professional, or you know, touch a little bit of both. Whatever you feel vulnerable in sharing here on the interwebs. Um, but yeah, love, love you guys to go around the table, introduce yourself and, and let me know when you guys started, started getting down with cannabis, man. Right on. Uh, so my name's Kyle Lenzen, uh, started Daybreak Cannabis. I'm the, uh, one of the owners, um, got into cannabis, uh, actually truly from the medical side. So I was, I grew up in a family. St. Louis is a, uh, is a big town where, you know, Anheuser-Busch was started here. Alcohol is everywhere. Uh, it's just part of life. Um, and it was part of my life all the way up until uh, I graduated college. Uh, what I realized quickly, and I jumped into my first uh, career was in commercial uh, commercial real estate, uh, development shopping centers. So really, really, really constantly going a lot like cannabis. Um, and you know, to put myself to sleep at night, I would drink and I'd wake up the next day. I'd feel like shit. Um, so I started using cannabis and it was it was the perfect medicine for me. So that's what got me into cannabis. I started kind of tracking the science behind it. Um, had a lot of friends uh, that, you know, sold a lot of cannabis back in the day. Probably one of the only guys in my whole group on my hockey team, especially that didn't use cannabis. Um, but uh, looking back on it, I probably would have saved quite a few years of my life if I would have if I would have made the switch to cannabis a lot earlier. But uh, with that, I just really started following the industry. And, you know, honestly, I, I used to skater back in the day, uh, that transition to snowboarding. And uh, so I was always around it. And everybody was always chill. Everybody was cool. Um, I really liked the culture. Uh, just... Didn't know how to get into it. Um, and, uh, you know, when Missouri decided to legalize medical, I uh, put together a team. Uh, it was really important to me that I brought that, the culture that I was not part of into the company. Um, you know, I had the, the business side of things. My partners uh, had the legal side covered. Um, we just didn't have the culture. We didn't have the experience in the cannabis industry. So instead of going out and hiring a bunch of PhDs, um, we went out and found some guys that had been working in the industry for a long, long time that deserved a, uh, a shot to be, uh, executives. Uh, and that's, that's how we launched the company. Yeah. Awesome. I'm Sam Toman. I'm the director of cultivation for uh, daybreak cannabis. Um, I found cannabis probably, I started finding cannabis when I was in high school, but more so really when I was in college. Um, I was really into sports as a kid, um, won a lot of state championships in wrestling and football, and then in 
college, um, got was really into wrestling, was really good in the NCAA, and then really stopped liking wrestling due to cutting weight and all the pain you go through and not really having fun in sports. And that's really where I ended up finding cannabis um, for the most part. Um, I mean, starting to smoke cannabis and get into it and actually started having fun again, doing wrestling throughout college. Um, and then that's where I got interested and started researching into cannabis and everything like that as well. Um, and then about like 2014, I ended up moving out to Colorado just to kind of try to get into the cannabis industry. I'd already had a degree from college and everything and was working in the oil field. Uh, in Texas for a uh, sandblasting and painting company as a foreman. Um, and me and my wife decided to just pick up and move to Colorado because we were kind of over that life, weren't really liking it, having a good time. Um, and then I ended up picking up a job with a company that at the time had, I think, eight employees, one little dispensary and a tiny grow. Um, we get picked up in like parking lots, um, like in blacked out vans and everything and drove into the indoor grows to trim and learn everything like that so i started with a tiny company and i was there for almost close to a decade and it ended up growing into a 200 person company with like 36 entities different brands kind of all over the the u.s and then ended up finding this team kyle and their team brought me out here um because i ended up learning in a lot in the industry and cultivation we designed quite a few big greenhouses and high-tech ones over the years um, in different states and they designed one of the better ones i've ever seen here in missouri um, that puts out some great product for for greenhouse and light depth so um, that's kind of how i made my way out to missouri what up bro it's good to see you yo uh my name is bj jordan um my relationship with cannabis started when I was in sixth grade, um, smoking weed behind the water dikes in my hometown in Utah. Uh, yeah, and then I, I think at that point, I just realized that that really helped me kind of figure myself out, slow down a little bit, um, whether it was like ADD or whatever, whatever you want to call it back then. Um, yeah. I uh, grew up in the snowboard industry, um, lots of different industries, but cannabis has always been fluid throughout my entire life, um, from paying rent to, you know, deposits on cars, whatever it took, you know, um, and got into the legal industry when I moved to Seattle, which is when I met you, enjoy Brago and all the homies, um, worked with Have Art back in the day. I helped run Havart for from the time we went wreck pretty much until uh, we sold the harvest. Um, started doing consulting and working with different people in the country. Um, had the opportunity to meet a really lot of great people throughout the country uh, in the industry. And one of the groups is these guys. And you know, I got a kid. And needed a backyard. Seattle's expensive as hell. Um, and uh, my kid's like, why don't we have grass, Dad? Yeah, smoked it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so it took the opportunity to, you know, uh, slow down a little bit, if you will. So, but uh, you better not slow down too yeah, much. Yeah, no, we haven't slowed down at all, though. That's for damn sure. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it brings us to today. I'm stoked to see you guys out here. 
Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Yeah. We've been, we've been, we were just talking before we went live, you know, we've been, me and BJ have been knowing each other since 2016, you know, it was like six, seven years at this point through, through legal cannabis and very, very humble, you know, but been, been a part of seeing to have a heart go from medical to a, a multi-state, you know, behemoth, man. And, and then obviously worked around the country, man. So it's dope. You know, I've been picking your brain about different markets before I even started getting out on the road too much outside of the PNW, man. So always appreciate that insight. Um, you know, Kyle, one, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, uh, you know, you said you said you had a you know background previously in real estate. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's like high, highly regulated. You know, it's obviously contracts, paperwork are, are heavily involved in that profession, but it's also regulated and, and not just regulated by like a governing oversight, but it changes through municipalities and counties. How much of that kind of prepared you to get into cannabis where it's, you know, likely more regulated than that or the stigma provides, but but how much of that past experience kind of prepared you for where you're at now? Um, ironically, it gave us a huge head start on identifying the real estate for all of our stores, our grow facility. Um, all of our stores are located within a 15 minute, uh, 15 minute drive of themselves. Mm. And the grow is kind of centered in between all of it. And this is all within St. Louis. So we're not out, you know, out in the suburbs. We are in the core part of St. Louis. So, uh, and the way that we were able to do that is, you know, I know the zoning codes. I know what is is not allowed. I knew about the thought, you know, the restrictions on being next to schools, et cetera. Um, and my because I had the relationships with, with the real estate community, trusted me. That was a big factor um, with this new industry coming in. There's a lot of real estate guys that just had no idea what to expect. They didn't know, you know, are these legitimate companies? Um, so. That gave us a huge leg up. Uh, two of our stores are actually all three of our stores are in major power shop centers that former company built um, and continue to manage. So, getting a landlord to uh, or getting my partners to agree to the concept wasn't hard. Um, we had no because we, we focused primarily on retail. So I've expanded every retailer that there is out there um, uh, all around the St. Louis market. I know what the demographics are, uh, but the zoning, uh, knowing, understanding how the zoning process works between the municipality, the state doesn't really have any kind of zone code. Um, it's all down to the county and or municipality. So understanding that process really helped us put together an accurate projection on these stores uh, because we know how long it would take to get a permit. Uh, all of that's being said, I had no idea how similar this industry, the cannabis industry would be to the real estate industry. Every single day in cannabis, there's something changing on you, whether it's a new law, new packaging rule, you know, all of a sudden we got to change the size of the font of all of our packages for no reason. Uh, it was no different in real estate. So we would go and apply for a, uh, a building permit for uh, you know, a restaurant and get slapped with a requirement that we have to go through a special use permit, which is ultimately a decision that the, the count or the city decides, okay, do you want this or not? And very similar 
to cannabis because of that. Every law, every rule that's written by uh, by these the regulators, which I think they're getting better um, as they go, they're learning. You know, everybody's learning the industry, so I'm not going to throw them under the bus. Uh, I think they've done a pretty good job in Missouri. Um, there's been a lot of negative uh, media around uh, the way the licensing was done here, um, and I, it was difficult. Uh, so, are there things that could have been done better? Of course, anything could have been done better. Um, but you know, again, every day in real estate. You're getting thrown a curl every day in cannabis. You're getting thrown a curveball. Um, but I didn't know how to navigate the campus curveballs, and that's why I wanted to bring these guys in. And uh, you know, so far, we were successful in getting all of our sites you know, approved and operations we had originally applied for in the application process through the state. Um, I, 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 very few groups in the state have been able to do that. Most have had made make change requests for locations. Uh, and, you know, we've got some of the best run stores in, in the state. Um, we continue to grow those stores and uh, hope to expand those stores. Uh, um, you know, the way that the licensing works here in Missouri is each in, uh, each group or a uh, group ship is allowed to own five stores. So we've got three now. The goal is to open up two more, uh, which there are new licenses. There are no new licenses, so I'd have to acquire two stores. Um, and there's a lot of consolidation occurring right now. So it's it's getting uh, it's again like real estate. You know, everybody's for the same piece of real estate. Uh, everybody's running after the same store. So um, yeah, and, and, and much oh. like real estate, right? The, the cycles have gone from a buyer's market to a seller's market, and 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 sitting at the equilibrium for a brief second in time before it shifts, man, and constantly seeing that in cannabis with the wholesale price or whether it's limited licenses or opening up licenses, we're constantly seeing those shifts. Um, you know, Sam, for you, I think you mentioned, you know, moving out to Colorado in 2014, if I remember, if I heard that correctly, to, to start getting in the cannabis space, what what originally uh, attracted you to, to the cultivation side or did you just originally want to get into cannabis in general and found your way to, to cultivation? Yeah, well, I kind of have a background in farming. So my family does a lot, a lot of farmland in Kansas. So I know quite a bit about cultivating and, and most, most of that stuff and, and how that works. So that's kind of why I wanted to get into that side. And I also, it kind of started college too. I actually got like my scholarship hold uh, from when I was wrestling in college because my house got raided and we were growing in there and everything. So I ended up getting cuffed and took into prison and sat in there for quite a while and got my scholarship ripped and using all my finals and everything. So uh, it took a couple of years and I was able to come to NCA and everything. So I had tried it at that point in time. So I figured I'd try to get into cannabis out there. So I kind of started trimming, was like trimmed for like three or four months. Uh, I kind of worked my way up through when he was like transplant captain. And then kind of managed on it into flour. And then we had like a small little grow. So it was about like 8,000 square foot of flour, I think, at the time. And then we were breaking ground on like a 100,000 square foot greenhouse uh, in southern Colorado at the time. Getting ready for like rec to fully come online and, and getting a bunch of stores going there. Um, so I kind of like slowly worked my way up through that company. And then as that greenhouse 
program, me and uh, another kid in the company were kind of living down there in like Connex boxes, um, wiring the climate control in, trying to figure out like, like a floor heat. It was a pretty automated build out with the, like boilers and like uh, radiant floor heat um, and everything was mostly going towards an automation point and not really many people had done like big greenhouse like cannabis builds at that time like that early because they're kind of still wanting to grow indoors and we're scared to go that big so um it's kind of weird and we're down there building it out so that's kind of how i learned um a lot of the cultivation process at the time like when they were doing that they brought we brought in quite a few phds um one of the big ones being like dr cloyd out of kansas state he's like one of the better entomologists in the united states and um I, I was from Kansas, so I kind of knew him for a while. So we brought him in, I think, in like 2015 um, when most pesticides were like getting ripped off this and no one could use pesticides anymore. And it started to finally become a big, we brought him in and got a beneficial program going because not at the time, not many people were using biologicals or not really that well known. So he kind of set up the program for us. Um, and then we had some other good doctors like Royal Hines out of Michigan who came in. So I a lot from those guys. So pretty young at the time still probably like 23 or so learning a lot so learned a lot growing in that big two acre greenhouse and then we ended up getting another one um east of pueblo there so we ended up having about four years because we were doing some feminized seed breeding too so yeah it kind of just chose me i guess that was the side i ended up wanting to be on a lot so and then i ended up going into business development at the end of that career so I ended up mostly being in a corporate office um, and not getting to be at the greenhouse as much. So that's it's nice now as I'm back in the greenhouse quite a bit and at the cultivation facility. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of how I got into it, man. Yeah. And you, and you guys have a, you know, 30,000 square foot greenhouse now. So you personally prefer greenhouse and then, and then follow up to that. What, what are some of the, the benefits and the challenges of growing through that method? um yeah i would say that i prefer greenhouse i guess if it's the right build there's a lot of difference in greenhouse honestly man i think greenhouse comes with like some bad territory and cannabis because a lot of greenhouses put out some pretty like a lot of mids honestly is responsible for that um so i'd say right, right now i prefer greenhouse based on the design we just it's a pretty automated build i've grown indoors that's how i started obviously um on what like we were mainly medical like on the indoor side and obviously the quality difference there you can tell is a lot better i feel like now some of the better green lines after learning doing it for a couple years can put out some quality that's got some pretty good fire comparable to indoor um if not better sometimes just with terpene tests like right now our greenhouse is putting out terp tests that are three to four percent indoor we're buying like we're hardly seeing two two to three you know so um you, you know it's doing there's a lot of things that go into it because it's like technically an indoor grow like if you just conceptualize the fact of replacing the roof with like a clear roof or glass or whatever and keeping it the same environment and everything and add sun then you would get that added benefit and that added efficiency in your cost to produce and everything so it's like being in like this industry it's got to be kind of business oriented with cost to reduce so you can hang around and stay in the industry and be in the black and not just burn money like a lot of IPOs do. Because, you know, when you're a private company and a small company, you've got to be able to make money. So that's really why I prefer Greenhouse right now, because I know that 
with the right design um, and the right build, you can get those efficiencies out of a greenhouse and still pump out that fire that indoors do. Um, but for the most part, a lot of greenhouse and hoop houses and things that are climate controlled um, and, and don't have all those bells and whistles like our greenhouse has HVAC chillers um, with like hot water and cold water going over coils and fans. That's not the same electrical usage as like HVAC tonnage um, and things like that and the radiant floor heat and then getting the benefit of the sun and all of that you can get and get cheaper cost to produce a pound but also throw out some fire. So um, honestly, yeah, like is, in, in the future, I would prefer greenhouse as long as they're nice builds. Like I think our builds are like a lot, like more like an indoor when you walk into the facility, you're like I'm in an indoor facility, but you got, you know, clear roof when you're inside it, but you got LEDs everywhere and all this light and everything. So, um, and it's a pretty clean facility. So um, yeah, I'd say prefer greenhouse right now, but I mean, it's, it's like light depth hybrid. I think a lot of the, the the new greenhouse builds you'll see in the future will be like more reminiscent of like an indoor, but like with that added benefit of the sun and some of these efficiencies, you know. So using using the environment, using using what God gave us, um, you know, BJ. Obviously, you have experience in recreational states, but but have a heart. Clearly, had you know some medical properties in the past, so you know you're not a stranger to that. Previous to this, the position over there. But what are some of those nuanced differences working from the marketing side um, and on the retail side of, of, of recreation versus medical beyond, obviously, that, that barrier of entry of having to have a, a prescription or a card to, to access retail? I mean, honestly, I think the a big difference between medical and rec is just the, the main campaign, like where, where you drive. You know, really in medical, it's about getting patients in the door, keeping patients in the door. You've got a, a lot more narrow of a demographic, you know, that you can shoot from. So a lot of it's patient drives, things like that, trying to get people into the system, trying to explain to people how easy it is here. Thankfully in Missouri, uh, it's all remote, bro. So it's like a, a 15 minute at the most digital consultation. You know, it was really easy. Um, so I'm just trying to get that across to people. Um, where in a recreational state, you know, it's a lot more general consumer marketing, you know, billboards, out-of-home advertising, uh, partnerships with local businesses with foot traffic, things like that. But, you know, I think the the one consistency, though, is is definitely like digital. You know, it's definitely digital because you can target those demographics and those groups and and, and be smart about what you do. Um, and thankfully, man, it's not 2016 anymore because <laughs> it, it, it makes things a lot easier, bro. Like I remember like exporting, exporting sheets and segmenting audiences in Excel and then like uploading databases, which like I had to do in Utah, I don't know, a year ago because there's no API connection in Utah, mm. you know? So it really, man, it just depends on the state. Um, you know, I think Kyle said, said that this state. They did a really good job. I think, you know, that's a big reason why I came here. Um, and I've got hope for the, for rec and everything. Um, and a lot of their states seem to just like not look back. It's, it's not look at uh, the other, the other states that are doing it and how they do it. As far as, you know, let's say at least my, my scope with marketing um, seems to be very repetitive. Um, and then really technology has got to kind of catch up. You know, we're, we're super limited because uh, 
TCPA regulations and, uh, you know, uh, any other thing that touches federal, man. So, um, I mean, I think I just got shut down. I got shut down on Facebook today, bro. You have to help me figure mm-hmm. out how to get off Facebook. Like my personal account, I got I got shut down. I can't comment or anything. <laughs> you know, it's it's just it's cannabis, man. Yep. yep. So a lot changed. A lot changed. Not a lot. Absolutely, absolutely, man. Yeah, constantly facing those obstacles and those challenges, as this, as you said, as the stigma breaks. Like 2016, it was a little more difficult because there was no, you know, Jane Dutchie. Those companies didn't exist in 2016. A lot of these SMS platforms didn't exist. Weed Maps wasn't a grown-up business quite yet. It was still, you know, how we found weed on the black market. Um, you know, times are changing, and and so this is kind of kind of question. You know, I'll I'll start with um kyle but i know bj you'll have some insight to this and sam potentially as well but i'm curious if you guys can give me a just a rundown of your guys's house of brands right obviously it's vertically integrated so you have the fine goods dispensary with the three locations around st louis but daybreak cannabis is one of the main brands we're talking about today but obviously you have a house of brands through the cultivation and through the manufacturing so could you just kind of outline to me your your brands and, and the different segments of those and where they sit in the market yeah. So, uh, so Daybreak is going to be our, our, our premium, uh, flower run. Uh, we've pretty much what we realized quickly when we launched Daybreak is that there's a, a large consumer base that is really shopping for value. Um, and we decided that we needed to segment a part of our flower, uh, over to that value side of the, of the, of the customer base. So we created a separate uh, flower brand called Soul Cannabis. Uh, you know, graffiti, it's cool, cool marketing. Graffiti, we like to call it blunt weed. Uh, and it's your everyday, you know, go buy an ounce. Uh, you're not buying an eighth. And so that has really been moving a lot right now. Um, Daybreak is, we can't, we're a little bit late to the market. So getting Daybreak out and shelves are full. Uh, believe it or not, with as 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 immature as Missouri's market is, uh, a lot of good guy, a lot of good operators came to the state. So um, we are, we're, you know, Sam's putting out some fireweed. We're finally getting some distribution of uh, Daybreak. Soul's been moving itself, um, and I think we're we're probably on 60 to 70% of the shelves in Missouri right now uh, with those brands. Um, and then we're getting ready to launch our next two brands, which uh, one's an edible brand called Good Taste. Um, you know, we took, th- that brand is really kind of focused on, um, you know, similar to like an Overweiss, you know, like that that home feel. So we're the first product that, brand is going to launch is a, is a rice crispy treat. Uh, it comes in, it comes in a 10 pack. Um, they are, uh, they're really, really fucking good. Um, to the point where my wife is telling me that we need to rebrand it and sell it to the, in the grocery stores. So we're really excited about that. We hired a really, uh, kind of a, a soft, a well-known chef here, uh, in Missouri to work with our, our cannabis experts. Uh, to come up with some real good blends, and we're gonna we're gonna put out some cool stuff with that brand. Uh, and then uh, the, the next brand that we're launching, and this these two are going to be launching in the next forty five days, 
uh, is pinpoint extracts. Uh, pinpoint is going to be you know, your heady brand. So we went out and found some OG extractors. Um, we're, we're really going to focus on solventless. Uh, you know, right now we've got a bunch of trim that we're going to run distillate, uh, do some live, um, but we'll uh, we'll hop into that uh, solventless category here shortly, especially with the terps that Sam's producing. So. We're excited about that brand. Uh, there's a couple of brands in, in Missouri right now that are, are doing some pretty good stuff. But for the most part, you're seeing, you know, the same the same old distillate and, and live resin carts. So we're excited to kind of jump ahead of those guys. Uh, we haven't done a whole lot of marketing of the brand at all for that reason. Um, I guess now that this is out there, we'll have some people... Uh, coming after us, <laughs> but, uh, Thanks, <laughs> sorry, BJ. Uh, but that's, that's kind of the rundown of the brands. Um, you know, we sold was a, was a, uh, was just kind of came out of nowhere one day. We were just like, let's call, let's come up another brand. Yeah. And, um, inflation's been bad here, you know, yeah. it adds everywhere. So making a brand that people can afford, making a product that people can afford is, is from the retailers of the cultivators been super important for us to be able to keep, keep people high, honestly. Keep and when I say blunt wheat, bad. it's not bad wheat. It's good wheat. Yeah. It's good wheat, but it's just priced for the consumer. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that that's really, really important right now. Um, if you are out there trying to gouge customers, they're remembering. Pockets are, are shut and there's no money flowing in. So what are we going to do? Well, let's establish ourselves as a long-term brand. Let's help them out. And that's what that's where Soul came from. Midzotics. <laughs> Midzotics. No, no I, I love that. And I'm curious, you know, what to you guys is that importance of segmenting these brands, right? Like BJ, you're familiar, like in the early days of Washington, Colorado, brands would come out, a cultivator would come out with a brand, and the only differentiation might be the colors, the same jar, same name, same everything, different color jar. I was never a fan of that because I think people really for, forgot the you know, that word of mouth advertising is your best or worst friend. And if I'm out here talking up a brand and someone's buying the low shelf brand, meanwhile, thinking they're getting the high shelf brand, then they have a terrible experience and they're saying bad things about it or vice versa, right? Like there's no differentiation between the brands when you have a different tar you know, different target consumer you know, I'm from the school of thought, like make it a different brand, make it a different product line. There's no need to kind of put everything together while you guys are vertically integrated. Is it regular regulatory of why the dispensary and the brands are not named the same? Or is that kind of a strategic play to differentiate between retail brand and then even amongst the brands? It was a, it was a strategic play. It was not required by the state. Um, you know, my background comes in retail. Uh, and if, I knew for a fact that I was going to be successful on the retail side. Um, I knew for a fact I'd be successful on the cultivation side when I got Sam, but I didn't have Sam until after the fact, after I got licenses. So, um, yeah, it was intentional. It was intentional. Yeah, it was intentional. It was, it was a, it was a protection side of things, but I also, I think it's fun marketing different brands. You're marketing to different consumers. So, Pinpoint's gonna. We're gonna be sitting. That we're gonna be running skateboards with like 
hanging out with skaters. Like that is that type of brand. And that, you know, with my background, with love, my love for, for board sports, I'm really excited about Pinpoint. Um, good taste. That is, you know, St. Louis is Missouri in general. Um, everybody knows each other. So even in St. Louis, there's a, there's, I could, you could name a name and I guarantee somebody in my family knows that person or at least the person's family. First question anybody asked you out here is what high school did you go to? Yeah. Wow, that's wild. It's, it's just crazy. So, you know, creating that with, with good taste, creating that, that, that home uh, family style food, but replacing alcohol with cannabis was, was the whole idea around good taste. Um, so again, you're marketing to a different person. And I think that, you know, from my perspective, and I don't come from a marketing background, but I love it. Um, I just, uh, think a lot of it's logic and, you know, I, my degrees in computer science and a lot of that is, you know, what ifs. So if I like to think three steps in advance and, um, I put myself in the consumer's shoes and that that's why we did this. Yeah, and Mitch, I think, you know, you know for me, man, well, sorry, bro. Uh, like coming out here, that was a big reason why I came, why, why I popped on with these guys is because they were able to define the retail, you know what I mean? The retailer, the product, the, the licenses. So it sets me up for success as a marketer. Um, you know, I can't say the same for a lot of other people in a lot of other states where they line it all up the same. Um, it's hard, it may, especially in a vertically integrated state, man. It makes it hard to be able to sell your product to other retailers when it's labeled the same. I mean, that's little billboards for other retailers sitting on your shelf. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you get down to like product being on as many as many shelves as you possibly can, that's you really have to. Um to ensure the success of each brand individually. You have to look at each brand individually. Um, if you look at it as a group, yeah, you can get a lower marketing budget and get, you know, you know, I guess cheaper cost customer acquisition, but uh, it's, it's just not worth it, man. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to play the market. Like, obviously, we we're talking about, you know, like Jungle Boys a little bit before we went on. Some of these, these legacy brands that have built a, a core consumer kind of, even before legalization was established, those are like really the only ones that can come out and drive the, de- you know, they have the demand so they can kind of set a little bit of their own rules. But as we're building these brands, you know, all of it, like myself, even building my brand, right. Building stuff from the ground up, it has to be kind of a strategic play with things fitting, um, fitting in how you can get it in, man. So, and another unique thing that, that I learned, you know, about your dispensaries when I was talking to you, BJ earlier, when we were just texting is that you guys are still doing, Delhi style is that and is that in all of the dispensaries and and kind of what's what's the approach to to that model because obviously you know Oregon out of the rec the rec markets Oregon's really like the only one that's doing that I think maybe one or two stores in Arizona is and but even in Oregon we're starting to see a lot of the dispensaries move to the finished goods and it's kind of differentiating dispensaries for keeping it that but what's what's kind of the inspiration and ethos behind uh you know the Delhi style and is that all dispensaries or just one of them so we've got it in all three of our stores. Um, a little thing that's that. So we launched with it. Everybody else launched the state with prepack. There might have been a few other stores that had deli style. Um, we came, you know, 
with Sam, some of Sam's advice, he said to us, he's like, you know, nobody's going to know what these brands are, right? These are all brand, these are brand new consumers. So you've got these, this flower that's pre-packed in this beautiful container, but nobody knows what they're getting. Hmm. And what better way to display brands than to throw it up, open up the jar, let people smell it, pick their fucking nugs, whether it's a gram or four ounces in front of them. And it really create a customer, created a customer experience that nobody else was able to provide. Um, we created a lot of brand loyalty around uh, Deli Style. Uh, we've been, we've battled, you know, change in rules uh, all along the way. Uh, the way that the state does their testing, there's some ambiguity in the way the language is written. And uh, the state says that it's supposed to be tested in its final format. Well, you know, what is final format? It's not mm -hmm. defined. So uh, we bought, we, you know, they approved our licenses with us saying that we were going to do deli style so they couldn't deny it from us. We had all the procedures in place, all the SOPs that we submitted. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it really creates a, not a, it's, it's a different experience. You walk into the store and you feel like you're, you're getting ready to buy cannabis. You don't feel like you're getting ready to buy a piece of jewelry. Um, but so it also allows our our cannabis cannabis specialists to really understand product. You know, when you walk into a prepack only store, these bud tenders they don't know what the hell they're talking about half the time, especially on a new market. Uh, you walk into a deli style house, they have to know the product. They got to know the different terpenes. They got to explain what the flower is because it all looks the same. I mean, it might look a little bit different up on the wall. And the THC content might be a little bit different. But at the end of the day, half these people don't know what they're what they're buying. So you have to educate them. And what better way to do it by having an open container of it? And that's what we did. It's getting, I mean, it's getting to the point too. We all we all fight the THC game. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. getting to the point. It's allowing people to understand terpenes like right off the bat. Yeah, we can you educate know. on terpenes. Yeah, it's, sure. it's not that like it, it's not the necessarily as a marketer, I have to say this, but it's not the like brand play so much. It's not the THC percentage. It's, it's the product, mm -hmm. you know, and flour. So, yeah, it's a it, it's and I will say this, Matt, Mitch, it's a it's a sacrifice, bro. You know what I mean? Um, it's a labor of love, um, you know, from Wayne pounds consistently to see loss for humidity and everything could possibly happen uh scaling everything um hey, for the damn scales to be certified yeah year. the certification yeah. of the scales the the non you know nitrate powder gloves for every transaction the wipes so that there's no material from the strain before yeah. i mean it's a real love bro so it it it's something that our patients really love. Uh, and I think it definitely defines us at kind goods for sure. And I, and like the way we do it too, uh, I think it's pretty special. It's not, you know, I think a lot of times you see like that either deli style or you see that clean dispensary where you, it's hard to find the in between or that nice combination of both. And I think we've done that where it's uh, truly clean, welcoming uh, for everybody. Plus you've got that deli, the deli heady style um for everybody so we've made our we've made our patients uh snobs a little bit yeah yeah 
I enjoy it. Another shit, bro. Yeah, the, uh, there's a lot of shops that have gone back to the state and said, "Hey, we want to we want to start doing deli style," and um, they've, I don't, to my knowledge, not very many of them have been approved because they didn't submit it in their application, uh, and or they didn't have the right SOPs on how to operate it. Um, but it's, uh, I would not open up another shop without having deli style, unless it was in a really really mature market. Um, and a smaller shop, uh, I just, where it's just your, your concerts doing volume, right, right. but I, I just, again, my, my background in re- retail is I love customer service. I can't stand walking into a dispensary where there's bad, you know, bathrooms are dirty or there's shit on the floor. Or there's packaging laying everywhere, clean, good customer service and great product for the customers to be able to pick from. Yeah, that's, I mean, how do you differentiate yourself in a prepack world? A lot of times, you know what I mean? Technology. Like, what have you seen as far as prepack goes, like being the the most, like the biggest differentiator? Oh, yeah, it's, it's uh, technology, service. Really. Yeah. Tech, technology, service, displays, right? Like that's one thing I think a lot of dispensaries don't do well is like displaying you know, brands or everyone takes their different approach, but displaying product in a way that you kind of, oh, here's all your top shelf, but it's displayed in a way that I'm that type of consumer. I go and look at it. So, um, but I, I love, you know, I love the deli style, right? Like there's a part of the marketing aspect, right? From the brand side. Yeah. We'd, we'd love to get your colors and your packaging and differentiate yourself on packaging. Um, but as me, Mitch, the, the, the consumer, like, my nose knows, right? Like we, we, we all know from like Washington, there's a lot of shit that looks great in a jar and you crack that shit open and it smells like fucking hay. And you're like, bro, I waste 60, 70, $80 waste. Like, I don't want to, I don't care how fucking good it looks. I don't give a shit what the yeah. THC percentage is. This shit smells like fucking hay, bro. And I'm buying weed to taste some fire ass flavor. And yep. usually, you know, I feel like the scent that's going to translate to the flavor more so than look is going to be the nose. There is shit that smells different than it tastes, but if it's got a great smell, it's probably going to have a good taste, you know? Right. It's funny that you say that. That's how we price our flour on the wholesale side. And we don't do it off testing. Sam literally sticks his nose in the, in the jar or in the bucket and says, this is what we're pricing this at, or this is the brand that it's going to. Um, and it's working. Yeah. So, yeah. We agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it goes back to what you're asking earlier. How we, you know, how we like kind of scale the different brands, make sure that it's not the same shit, just in the same, you know, a different package. Um, yeah, there's lots of lots of arguments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots, lots of arguments. I stay out of them, but but, but it's good. It's good, man. It's a very passionate approach to uh, where the weed goes. Yeah, you know, um, it's important to give these guys autonomy. Um, that was the whole purpose of bringing them in. So that, uh, and they're putting out some good weed. It's, it's fun to see. It's fun to see. It's almost on a weekly basis. You know, you, you do look at those testing results, uh, just to see the metrics and they continue to go up. And it's just, uh, it's as the, the house continues to get dialed in, we, uh, we opened the house. It was almost a year ago to date. So hmm. we're we've just now gone through a full cycle of uh, Missouri climate, um, and we still probably, you know, the fall we really didn't even hit it 
because we were just in prop at that point. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, prop and veg. Yeah. So flower didn't even we didn't zone in flower until February. No, it was probably late or uh, early December actually. We harvested in late February. Yeah. So we're uh, you know we're all we've almost made the full cycle. Um, but yeah, it's he's doing a hell of a job. And BJ's marketing. It's fun to watch. It's it's uh, he's got some creative shit up his sleeve. Um, the best part about D, uh, BJ is he he always looks at ROI. So it's mm-hmm. it's not just throwing dollars at the wall. Um, no, and that's that's where I always am focused on is ROI. Uh, with always taking culture into consideration. And Mitch, you know, bro, like back in Washington, back in Washington to California and all these states, man, we've seen a lot of people spend a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, um, and just not get anything out of anything. So, I mean, you guys have done it, bro. You guys have just played that slow, steady digital trail all the way up, you know, which is, which is obviously paid off. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for us, you know, we invested in not a, cause we're, we have a different model, but it's not the ROI. Like, and we put X amount of dollars in, we make Y dollars out, but we've been invested in a different kind of ROI of, of a brand awareness. Obviously if you're, if we were cultivating, we were not necessarily afforded that, you know, that, that opportunity cause you have goods that you need to sell and you need to worry about that and, and keeping it coming in. And, you know, you guys mentioned, right. THC still, still runs the market, you know, somewhat down there. You mentioned it still how you still said you still have to play the THC game. Obviously that, that runs cannabis like everywhere. It's like this fucking battle of the highest THC and the, the, not the lowest cost, right? Cause you're not going to have the cheapest weed with the highest THC, but there's some balance of those minimum that, that the majority of consumers are going right or for wrong most of us in the industry you know say it's completely wrong but it it is what it is you know i've started to see in washington the top shelf i've been kind of vocal about this the top shelf consumer doesn't necessarily care about thc percentage as much as they put trust in brands and quality the bud tenders of the stores that they trust if they're really hyping stuff up they're they're gonna you know they, they the thc is secondary or third fourth even down the line the mid shelf and the low shelf it reigns true california it's like a fucking travesty. Like if <clears throat> if you're not flirting with 30%, you know, it's very tough to get your product on shelves and it's very tough for it to sell. Um, obviously, the deli style gives you guys that opportunity to, to, to kind of not have to rely on that, right? Because you can, you I, it's easier for me to convince you <clears throat> this is 18%, but smell it. And you're like, oh shit, okay, let me try that. But for your guys' market, what are you guys seeing with THC percentage? How much stock are like consumers putting in that? And then let alone, um, other stores that you guys are wholesaling to really paying attention to like THC percentage and what kind of emphasis do they put on that? Yeah. Cause I want to hear what you guys. So I think that it's, it's in a lot of States it's similar, right? It, it's kind of like the, the state when it starts, it, it's everybody's THC percentage. It's just education based. Right. And then consumers get more educated. It goes around. Um, I think what's interesting in some of these new States that I've seen is it's this vicious cycle that's kind of created uh, at the top of the uh, the top where the cultivators are actually like listing prices based upon THC percentage, where they're selling to retailers based upon THC percentage. And then the retailers are selling, you know, obviously based upon THC percentage because they were paying different price based upon it. Um, you know, so I think it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a cycle that we need to, 
we need to stop uh, in a lot of these new states. Uh, but thankfully, the consumers are becoming more educated on their own um, and will buy, you know, what, what's the best weed for them, what the what the terps are, what uh, the cannabinoids are, what, what they want to smell. Um, yeah. And then I'll, I'll pass it over to you to get your opinion. So I think it depends on the demographic personally. Yeah. Um, we've got, when we first opened up our shops, it was a lot of, uh, you know, 40 to 75 year old, uh, you know, pa- true patients. Um, and those guys really didn't care about THC at all. Uh, and then the younger demographics started getting their cards. Um, and that's what changed the THC uh, demand. So the younger crowd comes in, starts shopping, asking for THC. Well, the shops say, well, shit, we need everything high THC. And the older demographic that was normally shopping for whatever they smelled good to them, all started to say they were forced to buy the higher THC stuff because that's what was on the shelf. So I personally think that it's, you know, it really depends on the demographic when you launch it in a, in a new state. Um, and, you know, we are seeing more and more of our patients shopping off terpenes. We list all the terpenes of each strain off on the jet, on the jar, uh, put, you know, most you know, most of the 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 bet most of the good growers in the state are terp testing all their flour. Um, you know how accurate the testing are. Who knows? Uh, Who knows in any state? Yeah, I mean, you 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 do put your your nose in a jar and you know something that's testing out three percent, and you're like, uh, they they took the, they took a good sample. Um, but then you'll get one that's tested out at you know point and a half. You're like, holy shit, this, this is the best smelling weed in the shop. Uh, so I think you know that is that's why we leave it up to Sam to price our flower off his nose, just because we know that that testing is uh, is all over the board. Um, but uh, you know, I guess on one hand we keep seeing our terp tests go up, yeah. and the nose keeps getting better. So. There is a relationship there, uh, and maybe the testing labs are getting better. Uh, maybe the equipment's getting better, um, but uh, it also depends on the on the testing facility. You know their past experience. So there, we've got a we've got I think like te- ten labs in in Missouri, maybe maybe a little bit more, um, and there's like three that have the lion's share of the uh, of all the uh, customers. Uh, and it's just because they, you know, they're ISO certified, um, and there's probably half of them are certified ISO certified right now. Or is it less? Yeah, I think like three, three of them. Right. Three. Yeah, three of ten. So you know, you would hope that those guys are a little bit more accurate. Um, but it's it's uh, yeah, that's that's what I know. What do you see in other states? Do you see NTHC still be the dominant factor? Yeah. Yeah, like you said, yeah, Cali, like- Cali's. I'd say Cali, right? Like the the whole, you know, you'd like to say the more the mature, the more mature the market gets, the less that matters, right? Because I'd say anyone, again, that's in the industries in an echo chamber, 
um, where we're all screaming, it doesn't matter. But somehow, like you said, BJ, everyone's like price, everyone caters to it. Right. And there is the like, does the chicken come before the egg? Right. Like, are we really doing it because the consumer demand there? Or how much are we doing is actually contributing to that? Right. I, I've challenged that a couple of times, but I'd say Cali's one of the worst. And I'd also say they're the most mature market in terms of the consumers thinking about branding, thinking, at least asking what is quality cannabis. I'd say that is the most even though it's not recreationally the most mature, I'd say just cannabis culture and connoisseurship is the most mature in California, but it's also in my opinion, one of the worst with fucking THC. Um, but, it, and then, you know, when I go, like when I was in Massachusetts, you know, I, I go to these dispensaries, you know, they've only been around a little bit and I'm like, all right, I'm looking for the fire and the bud tender is always like, Oh, you can't, you asked the right dude. So I've organized it by THC percentage for you. And I'm like, fuck bro like you're absolutely the wrong dude to talk to to be honest but like is there someone else that could help me here like this is you know i want to leave and so it, it's it's pretty bad um do you think, do you think that like the it's mainly the new like a lot of the new states like as they come on and like you said maybe cali, cali i feel like cali's kind of a special beast too it's always been yeah. a special beast of its own I just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think I, someone had said it to me on the podcast where they said they think and, and, and something that Kyle was saying, like the younger generation, and it makes sense with that. I think it's more of a mindset thing. They correlate value with THC percentage, right? I'm only spending 40, 60, whatever dollars on weed. If I get more THC, I'm getting like a better deal or more bang for my buck. And so someone put it to me like that. And again, while I don't associate with that at all, I can see why, okay, that makes sense why that's like the popular mindset. Yeah. Yeah. You buy Everclear. Yeah. But, and, and, but then that's what everyone's like, you don't buy beer off of this. You don't buy. And I'm like, I get it. But like, it's, it's the nuance difference, right? Like, you know, same thing. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't buy liquor like that. Cause it's all going to kind of get you fired up. But I, I do know people that, you know, younger people, right? When I used to run a recording studio, like dudes would be in there and they'd be like, yo, these beers are like 7%, man. You only need to drink two. And I'm just like, I never think like that really, you know, but you definitely hear it with that younger crowd. And I think that mindset bleeds in. But Sam, one of the, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, obviously being a cultivator, I, I always have to ask this is, um, are there any strains that you grow that you love, but the THC just doesn't quite hit where the market really once like accepts it yeah. fully just catered to that and, and what those strains are yeah i think one of our better ones right now is pakistani citral kush so it's usually it's been testing around like 14 15 but it's got this nice like uk cheese like stanky smell to it always and the turps are always around like three percent but kind of being in a new market it really sucks because like we throw that up on the shelf even as like the craft brand um you know like it's people are going to see that and be like, what, 14% THC? And I want to pay like the high dollar for that product in, the, in this new market. So, you know, that's one of them. We've grown goat for years. It probably needs bread with something else now. Um, but that's always been one that does it too. Golden Goat always like has great turps, comes out nice. Everyone likes it. It just seems to do good in this market. No one really wanted like any of them OG strains anymore in Colorado. Everyone wanted to go for the new stuff, but um in a new market here some of those og strains still hit pretty good a lot of people are dropping goat but that's usually one of them as well um but yeah i mean we're getting we're getting to the point where we'll be doing some breeding and stuff too so 
I mean, I think that's the goal for any like crafty cultivators to breed your own genetics, pheno hunt, and then send your own stuff out and drop it um, and be self-sustainable and, and make a name for yourself. So that's kind of what we're in the process of now. Um, while the genetics we have now were bred in Colorado and feminized there and brought in um, for this process. But yeah, those are two of the ones that I never seem to hit the THC you want. But, you know, I go and smoke, I'd smoke the shit out of some Pakistani on uh, some of those other strains, you know, as long as it's uh, flushed all the way, smokes white all the way through and tastes terps all the way through, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, but yeah, it's weird. The THC game is a, a weird thing. It seems like in all markets, like right at the beginning, that's where how everybody's kind of shopping. It seemed like at the end in Colorado when I left, a lot of a lot of those name brands were able to go to prepack like 710 Labs and Green Dot Labs could go to prepack because everyone knew they already had fire and they were going to drop fire strains. But like, even then like green dot was dropping 18% and 19% and, you know, stuff that barely scratched 20 and people would still buy it up and, and it'd sell out, you know, but um, kind of in some of these newer markets, it doesn't really, it doesn't really work like that yet. So um, that's kind of how it's hard when we got to separate our product by brand. It's like, sometimes you might have some, that's some serious fire, but since the potency is not really there with it or the test result, you kind of got to separate it to the other brand or it'll sit on the shelf just because of the persona that, you know, it's not going to get you as high and we can't just sit on weight. So it kind of has to go to the other brand. So for right now, market's still kind of in its MNC in Missouri at least, but you know, there's a lot of educated consumers still here that have been to Colorado Cali and seen some of these like crafty connoisseur markets know what rosin is so um we're excited about it rex on the ballot like kyle said like you know not many people have tapped the solventless game yet here so we're trying to get on that since we have our own cultivation you know we can kind of cultivate and pull things ahead of time looking at the trichomes and everything to make sure we get good rosin and uh grow the right genetics for that ahead of time so we're really excited to to get that going here over the next couple months and everything too Fire, fire, man. Well, I appreciate your, your gentleman's time joining us and, and flexibility with today. Is there anything else you guys want to plug before I get you up out of here? Um, plug Arthur. What's up, Arthur? <laughs> oh, man. Appreciate yeah, it, dude. We're, we're good, man. Yeah. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I, I love just learning, having, you know, hearing the stories. I think that just really, truly helps break the stuff. I'm a nerd about business and learning. So selfishly, I mean, this is content we're putting out for other people, but selfishly, I just love learning. So I appreciate you guys sharing. For people looking more for more information, daybreakgrows.com. The Kind Goods is, is the flower brand we've been talking about today. The kindgoods.com is the dispensary website today. Uh, any other of those assets you guys want to plug? Uh, one last opportunity to plug plug a site handle real quick before I hop you over. Uh, yeah, we're uh, IG hit us up on the Kind Goods, uh, Daybreak Grows, and Good Taste Edible, and Pinpoint Extract. Yeah, Pinpoint Cash Extract. Soul Canada 420. You want me to keep going? We've got time. Hold on. <laughs> no, I'm, cut, I'm, I'm cutting you off, man. Cutting you off. Awesome. Well, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate you guys. This is the North American Weed Tour podcast. We're looking at the best in legal cannabis uh, across the map and beyond, man. This has been a great episode with these guys from Missouri, man. We'll be checking in more from their market, hopefully getting out there and seeing the lay of the land once it once it flips over to rec. Appreciate your guys' time, man. We'll be back with more content later this week.